the thing that really stops people from having meaningful and valuable and and affirming conversations is that they're so afraid to even mention the word death, thought of dying, the idea that your life will end someday becomes um, almost paralyzing. Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Kim Medici-Shelquist. Kim works with the Love Always Project, whose mission is to encourage people to think more positively and proactively about end-of-life issues and funeral prearrangements. The Love Always team works with individuals and professionals to encourage normalizing tough conversations and emphasizes the importance of sharing stories and experiences now while there's still time. Kim, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So before we get going um, with what the Love Always Project is all about, my understanding is that each member of your team has a personal story relating to why they do what they do. And I was wondering if you would be willing to share a little bit about you and your history and how you ended up with the Love Always Project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my history professionally is uh, my first end-of-life role was in hospice. I worked for, uh, at that time, our state's largest not-for-profit hospice, Hospice Central Iowa, uh, maybe for 10 years in the early 2000s. And I had always had a passion around storytelling. And when I say that, I mean, the, you know, my background is in journalism. And I've always believed that it's important that we talk about not just our ourselves, but our, the stories of how we became who we are, you know, what makes us who we are. And so then when I did go into end-of-life care, it occurred to me just how very important it is for us to live our lives to the fullest, for us to understand who we are, what's important to us, and where we spend our time. You know, we all are so easily distracted by all the different things that are going on in our lives at any given minute, whether it's work or our kids or or their activities, um, our maintaining friendships. But at the end of the day, we really need to understand what matters to us, what we hold truly valuable, so that we can make choices about where we spend that time. And I think that that is true exponentially for how we think about what we want the end of our life to look like. And I'm not really talking about the last few minutes or the last few days, but the last years of our life, you know, we are lucky in this day and age to live to be on average, you know, quite elderly. And we have some time when we really 
have to make some choices. And so I think my love of storytelling and my love of uh, placing value in in every aspect of our lives is really the thing that brought me to the end of life care space. When I went to the hospice to work, it just made it all that much more clear to me how important understanding our own values is to our ability to experience the end of life in a, you know, people. People aren't necessarily comfortable with a positive that to use the positive term as it relates to end of life. But I am all about talking about what a positive end of life experience looks like. Not saying it's happy that it doesn't have sadness, that it doesn't, that you won't have struggles, but it, it becomes more about what you want for yourself. I think that's so important for everybody to to understand that that planning for the the end of life means so much more as you say it means you know all the way up to there and and all the things that you could be sharing and doing together so that you have those memories for later so let's jump right in and and talk about exactly what the love always project is so that people understand what it is you're you're doing Right. So for many of us who work in the end of life space, the biggest challenge that we have to overcome every day is the the general fear that people have about talking about what their end of life might look like, what they might want, what they might experience. You know, we used to kind of say in hospice care, talking about death won't kill you. And I think it really is that we have this tremendous superstition that if we begin to think about or talk about what the end of our life looks like, it might happen more quickly or, you know, that somehow we brought it down upon ourselves by even saying the words. And so that's that was really where the concept of the Love Always Project came from, is that after... Um, the group of us, after working in end-of-life care for so many years, realized that the thing that really stops people from having meaningful and valuable and and affirming conversations is that they're so afraid to even mention the word death, thought of dying, the idea that your life will end someday becomes um, almost paralyzing. And so it's like, no, we can't talk about it. You know, how many of us say, I do it all the time. If I die, it, it's almost like, yeah, you will die. You Now you just have to figure out how to acknowledge that so that you can live your life to the fullest extent. It's so true, isn't it? Um, we Nobody gets out of life alive you know, right. from, <laughs> from the moment that we're born. You know, that's the ultimate end point. Yeah. And it, it's almost silly how scared people are of talking about it. And I, I read, I think it's, um, I don't know who, uh, who to attribute it to, talking about, you know, the dash being the most important part, the uh, between your birth date and your death date, you know, it's the dash that means the most. And how do you live your life and you know that sort of thing. And I think that this is a, a really important way of, of preserving that life, that dash. Absolutely. I I want to, I worked with a physician in hospice care. Um, she was a hospice doc. And she said to me one time that people that she knew who 
who live their lives most fully are the people who were completely and totally aware that their life would end. And, you know, it's not that you jump out of airplanes, but it's, you said there's a lot of that romanticism about, you know, all these extreme things that you would do if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you'd go off and do these things. Her point is that when you understand that your, your, your time here has a, has a limit, then you really can begin to think about what are the things that you want people to know about you? What are the things that you want to experience? You know, how do you want to be remembered? Um, those things begin to shape the decisions you make about your life. Yeah, that's it. If you think about what do you want people to say about you after you're gone? What do you want, you know, what do you want them to remember you for? That uh, might make a little, little bit of a difference for some people in how they go about their day-to-day life. Yeah, yeah. So one of the topics that I saw a little bit about on your website is um, death education and all the different things that are involved in that. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of resources that you have for people? Right, yes. So the Love Always Project, like I said, is really, really was founded from this idea that people are very um, hesitant to talk about the end of life. So one of the things that we said was, can we help make it easier to have those conversations? And the, the Love Always Project is kind of constantly evolving as we talk with people and and families. Um, but the idea with the with the website particularly is that we do attempt to have resources out there for people who are curious about, well, what is what does this mean? Let's say I want to plan my funeral. What are the kinds of things I need to think about? You know, because on the one hand, most of us have been to a funeral, but many of us have never actually planned a funeral. So we don't really understand what steps are involved, what kinds of questions or decisions you have to make. So so that's really the the purpose of the project and of and the resources that are on the website. And then we're constantly saying, okay, but what are the other aspects of end of life that people have to think about? There's healthcare, there's your finances, there's communication and memories that you want to make sure that your family holds dear. Uh, there's simple, you know, healthcare also involves, can I have a conversation about what I would want in terms of care, because so often as we live longer and longer and more of us die of chronic conditions um, and the and that extends our life but challenges the extension of our life, right? We have to think about how do I help my children understand that I don't want to be put on a ventilator if there is a very little likelihood of me coming off of it. Or if there, you know, this other, I, I often quote her, um, this doc I worked with, she said, when kids, babies are born and they're premature, we can put them on a ventilator knowing that the purpose of that ventilator is to help their lungs get stronger, to help them grow so that they can one day become healthy, active children. The purpose of the ventilator, if I'm 80 and my lungs are diseased and there's very little likelihood of them recovering, is a whole different thing. And the decision 
about whether to use it is a whole different decision. And there's no box that you check that tells your kids or your spouse, here's what you should do. It becomes a real conversation that you must have before that time comes so they can make those decisions for you. So that that to me is really where the Love Always Project is really focused on growing and developing and providing resources that people need to think about so that they can have those conversations and um, their families will benefit from them. That doctor, maybe you should, uh, maybe there should be a box you can check that just yeah, says, hey, well, hey, you know, don't put me on this. And, and I, I guess there are, there are uh, requests yes. that you can make, but yes. there is still well, the importance of that conversation. You know, there there absolutely are. People can do advanced directives. Um, they can do living wills. They can have. They can appoint a proxy for healthcare or a healthcare decision maker and tell them what to do. But oftentimes, like I've talked with my husband, I don't. The idea of being on a ventilator, for instance, if I have cancer and the treatment's not working. But the doctors say the only solution at this point to help her breathe is to put her on her ventilator. That is a different decision than if I am in a car wreck and the doctors say, we've got to put her on a ventilator, but but we think she can recover from this. And so, you know, it's really to just say to your loved ones, I don't ever want that. Don't ever do that to me. It doesn't arm them the way they need to be prepared for the decision that they might have to make. Um, our completely miraculous healthcare system has made it almost impossible to say, uh, to, to think in uh, definitives, you know, or checkboxes. Yeah, there's no black and white. Yeah, exactly. So with the Love Always Project, who, uh, who do you think should be involved? Who, who should join the project? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I don't want to be, um, flip and say everyone because there are stages of our lives when this kind of information is more important. So for sure, if you're planning for your retirement, if you're planning for transferring possessions or values to your children, your loved ones, I think there are things that are useful for you. Um, if you're experiencing a serious illness with a loved one or with yourself, I think there could very well be information there that could be helpful to you, resources there that can be helpful. I, I think the real answer is, is as soon as you begin to have that idea that you would like to think more about what the what the last phase of your life looks like. And remember that last phase could be 20 or 30 years long. I mean, you know, we, we have this gift of um, longevity now that we haven't had in previous historic times. So uh, that those are the folks I think who are going to most benefit. But again, I think anyone who has to think about the loss of a loved one could be out there looking for information about how to help them prepare for that. And anyone anywhere can uh, can join. It's not just in the United States. It's everywhere. No, it's absolutely uh, the lovealwaysproject.com. 
Um, the information is not restricted in any way. Everything that's there is free and available to anyone who has a need to use it. And there are communities, you know, we have social media communities where you can join and interact with other people, ask questions, share your story, that kind of thing. And is there a price to join? No, no, it's all free. And I guess one of the other things that I was looking, I was looking at the, uh, at the blog and at the various articles. Do you get um, articles from members or is it your own team that writes all those articles? How do you get the, the information that you share? We do have a team that provides content. So not only do we, do we create it, but we also partner and source it from other folks that we think have something to say. Um, it's a relatively new effort for us. But um, definitely, I think all of the managers and the founders of the site are open to ideas about what other kinds of information people might enjoy. As I said, you know, in the beginning, we focused fairly heavily on planning for your funeral as because that's a piece that so many people don't um, have any awareness of that they can do it. A lot of us know we can go to a financial planner. A lot of us know we can do a healthcare proxy. Um, but many of us don't know what the options are from a funeral standpoint. So that's sort of where we started, but we continue to expand to think about what are the needs that people have at the end of life. Without going into any you know, personal kind of details. Are there any stories you can share about about people who have used the project, people who are who have benefited from it? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I I think that at this point we're fairly new, so we don't have deep, meaningful this changed the way I looked at the end of life stories. But we always get so much feedback. The one thing that that gets a lot of feedback and on the Love Always Project site is support for people who are grieving and support for um, people who are having to make hard decisions. You know, people really talk to each other and will come into that site and explain that I just recently lost my husband and I'm not sure how I should handle this. And, um, we are not grief professionals, so we don't want to pretend that we are. But what happens is a lot of times the other members will step up and say, I had that same experience and here's here's how I dealt with it. And it creates a little bit of a community. And I think because um, there's so many stories of people struggling through loss that those surface there in a way that's a little different than they than maybe I'm struggling to figure out how to do a will doesn't have quite the same emotional impact mm -hmm. as the loss of a loved one, of course, struggling with that. So I think there's some benefits there. And I think also that the thing that we can offer people are the the stories of what you need to think about. And those stories may change the way they go into a particular challenge. It changes the way they reach out to their family, I hope. Um, that's really our goal. Is there anything about the project in particular that we haven't discussed that you'd like to uh, share with the listeners? 
No, I th- I think that we've talked a lot about what we've been able to offer and what we hope to offer in the future. And by that, I mean, you know, going from this very clear funeral planning kind of information to saying, oh, there's so many ways that we can help people. Um, the one thing that I would like to share for people is that if you don't think about these things and have these conversations with your families, it it really does make it more challenging as you get closer to the end of your life and you have to make the decisions. Um, we will continue to expand the Love Always Project to include a lot of that information. But I think a lot of times people think, well, I don't have to deal with that now. I can deal with it later when the time comes. And um, it, it really is, it, you can, you can. But it's a lot harder. And I have, if we have a minute, I'm, I'm happy to share a personal story of just how even as well prepared as you think you are, how difficult it can be to face this, this last stage of life with a loved one. Um, my, I worked, as I've already told you, worked in end of life care for 20 years now, first through hospices, then through funeral homes. And I really thought I knew everything there was to know about, you know, working through an individual's end of life experience. And when my mom got sick three years ago, um, she had a heart. She had been very healthy, very active, absolutely the most independent 83-year-old you'll ever meet, the most independent woman of any age you would ever meet. And suddenly she had a heart attack. They realized she needed bypass surgery. The bypass surgery was successful, but she contracted an infection during the surgery. And so she began to, to fail and we didn't know what was going on. We, you know, in the early days, they couldn't figure out why she wasn't recovering the way she should have. And what happened during that time period was that every bit of professional information that I knew went out the window. And all I could think about was, we just have to get her back to who she was six weeks ago, and she'll be fine. And so my thank God my sister was there with me. And we, but the decisions we had to make, I had written all the brochures about the decisions that had to be made. I would go and speak to community groups about the decisions that had to be made. And my sister and I were just absolutely paralyzed uh, with, is that the right decision? Is that the right decision? I'll never forget the day when they told us that she should go on dialysis because her kidneys were failing from the antibiotics they were giving her. And my sister and I looked at each other and we're like, what should we do? In some miraculous fashion, my mother gathered her wits about her and came out of this really partially, you know, she had just been pretty unaware of what was going on and said to us, no, no dialysis. And I wonder still, would would we have done it? Maybe even though we both knew that it was very likely to be unproductive and that she would be on it for as long as she lived. And thank heavens she somehow knew that that 
she knew what we were talking about and she woke up and she said no. Because with everything I knew, I still think I might have made that choice the wrong way, wow. you know, for her. It would have been the wrong choice for her. And so I think the more we talk about it, the better we get to talking about it with each other, not just book learning, the better off we'll all be at the end of our life. Wow. That, I got goosebumps listening to that. And it's, I'm sorry you went through it. It's, it's hard for anyone. Um, and, and here's the, here's the piece that I don't ever want to forget. We will all go through it. Yeah. You know, we, we think to ourselves, oh, that happens to somebody else. But the truth is, is that 70% of us die of a long-term chronic condition. Someone we know will go through it. It'll be us on the receiving end or someone we love that we have to help them walk through it. So we really owe it to each other to have these conversations early and, and often, frankly. Yeah. Not just once. Yeah. Not just once. Right. And that your example shows why doctors aren't allowed to operate on their families. The same kind of thing happens to everyone in that moment when it's you, when it's personal, all the teaching, everything goes out the window. Right. It, it, because you don't think with your head, you think with your heart. You think with your heart. You know, when we, we finally, thank God, we had a doctor who came to us and said to my sister and I, your mother is not going to recover. And that is a rare, that is actually a rare thing in healthcare because yeah. many physicians don't want to be the one that has to take your hope away. Yeah. And, um, and so we were very lucky that we had that physician and he sat us down and he said, the best thing you can do is take your mother home and let her die in peace. And he was spot. I mean, you know, we have never regretted that. My sister and I have both said we've never regretted that. Never had a moment of self-doubt. And that's, it's hard because we do, even when we think we're thinking what's best for the person at the time, we're not, we're thinking about what's best for us. And, and that's how you've, so true. you've got it? to start changing that. And, and it's not about you, even though you're the one that's going to be grieving. It's about them. Yeah. It's about them. And she told us what she wanted when she yeah. said no. Yeah. And we understood. So, um, but you're right. It is about you, not in the selfish, what's good for me, but no. in the, how can I possibly go forward with the rest of my life without you in it? Yep. Exactly. Those are the hard decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about the Love Always Project. It's something I didn't know about. I'm definitely going to get more involved. I, I believe deeply that this is a, an important part of planning for life beyond retirement because it's not just about the end, it's about everything and that perhaps 30 years that you've got to go. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.